Save or Die, Adventure Movie Mayhems. We got a number on this? 65, yeah. Oh, th- thank you. Okay. I just said that. <laughs> All, right. All right. I forgot. See, I told you, Mr. Short-Term Memory Loss here. <laughs> oh, man. He's going to like start the same question, yes, comment every time. For like, oh, what, what number was this? <laughs> With us, as usual, this is DM Mike, and in the show is DM Glenn. What? You, you DM want- Glenn. I can't remember. Basic. If I'm basic, I got basic right here. What are you talking about? I got a nice velvet. We got we got a denim. Yeah. Not bedazzled, though. Oh, shush. <laughs> and as you heard, DM Liz. Hello. And this episode. Good evening, folks. No, no we're no. <laughs> This episode, we decided to consider movies as a topic for inspiration for classic D&D. Yes. What movies have inspired us, which movies have not. Yes, I know that's blasphemous to all those Appendix N devotees out there and people who read, you know, speculative science fiction and fantasy fiction, but we're going to talk about it anyway, so deal with it. And people in Oklahoma don't like all that reading. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I will say I read and I am not above taking ideas from movies as well. So Exactly. Little from column A, little from column B. I read, but I don't read fiction. I read game books now. Because uh, <laughs> that's not fiction. <laughs> oh, no, no. Uh, no, I started, when I started reading, you know, heavily when I got into, like, you know, junior high and high school, I was reading film books. So when was that? 1820s? Yeah, something like that. Oh, okay. <laughs> what number was the show again? Anyway. <laughs> You're in episode 23. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> or would that be 40, 40, uh, 56 instead I, of 65? I'm young again. Uh, <laughs> No, I started reading, like, film books, film comedy books, drama books, you know, you name it, that kind of thing. I just went for the, the nonfiction. I mean, I know there's a lot of gamers out there who don't read fiction, but these are the guys who are like the old, old grognars who used to war game and read about, you know, they watch the all Hitler, cha- the History Channel, and, uh, you know, things <laughs> the like UFO that. Channel now. now. it's the UFO Bible Channel. That's right. Uh, you know, read all those World War II books and all that. Yeah, I'd say the military channel's kind of the Hitler channel now. All, y'all Hitler all the time? Yep. Oh, boy. Anyway, well, before we get into what we've been doing this week, Glenn's favorite section, uh, a quick apology. There was a snafu with episode 64. Somehow episode 46 got loaded instead, uh, but it got quickly fixed. And Because Mike, these- was the only, the, Mike was the only one who had any trouble with it, that's why. 
No, it was fixed, and then I was the only one having trouble. Everyone <laughs> else was getting it, but just fine. You know, it, it, as long as our listeners can download the correct one, that's what's important. That's After all, I was there for that episode, and I don't have a short-term memory. That's right. Problem. I mean, that's why we number them, folks. So you all got episode twenty-three or, <laughs> or, or six, uh, sixty-four. Yeah. 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 My memory is generally good, except for when I was getting spanked. You know, for almost last hear. episode. I don't want to hear about that. That's okay. You'll forget about it in a second. What? So. <laughs> So anyway, Glenn, what have you been doing? Classic oriented. I got nothing. I got. I got. I got absolutely nothing. <laughs> nothing. Oh, just, uh, just what? Just what? Just what? Devil Swine was complaining about. Yeah. Well, I got nothing because I'm old and I can't remember. Remember? Um, no, actually, uh, we had our we had our D and D game, and uh, the guy who created the character who lasted all of fifteen minutes uh, created another character. Who lasted a little longer and then died and got killed again. So, so he built a third one. He built a third one. That's what burned down, fell over, then second <laughs> to the swamp. Second to the swamp. But the fourth one's still alive. <laughs> Yay! Well, that's beauty of classic. It's so easy to make another character. Oh yeah, I mean, I keep pregens around here, but uh, no, they just want to pull the dice out and go for it. Um, and this is, this is tangentially related. I just got, uh, I found a, an antique store here in town that were selling large and small Crown Royal bags for like a buck, buck and a half a piece. So I bought like not seven of them. And I'm trying to find somebody who embroiders so they can put stuff on there. Best use of a Crown Royal bag ever. Yes. And so I can put, I, what I wanted to put on there was I like that ad I put on Facebook. I wanted to put uh, the official base bag of the OSR. <laughs> and it is. I mean, back in the 70s and early 80s, you had trouble finding people making specific dice bags. Heck so yeah. It was standard. Go get a Crown Royal bag. I, I understand on crownroyal.com you can buy dice bags and have them print like two lines on it for you. Embroider two lines on it for you. On Crown Royal? Yeah, on the crownroyal.com. Hmm. That but, might be but, interesting. But that seemed a little uh, expensive. So I'm looking around. Anybody do embroidery? I'm sure, you know, the gaming community, somewhere around here, or my family, somebody is must be good with a needle. Well, that and my Crown Royal bag from the early 80s is still working fine, so right. I, I haven't had a reason to get another Crown Royal bag. Yeah, these things are like iron. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Great. And now they come in different colors and things like that, you know. So uh, I'm old school purple and gold. Purple and gold. Yep. I- I got black and gold, <clears throat> only because that was the that was the one my stepson gave me when he came home from the bar. Well, and that's an acceptable comp. You know, that's a pretty good color combo too. You know, and you get the bags from the large bottles, and man, you you could be getting pounds and pounds of dice. Oh yeah, we've got one of those huge bags. Yeah. And back when Mike and I were playing Champions a lot, uh-huh. oh that thing that it is still loaded with tons of d6s. And it's maybe only halfway filled up. Remember when we went to Las Vegas for the ECS, and while we were there, we bought, like, just pounds of slightly used craps dice because yeah. they sell them dirt cheap there? Oh, yeah. You could, I mean, they got, they got bowls full in the, in the yeah. stores. You just grab it. It's like 50 cents a piece or a quarter a piece or something like that. Yeah, I mean, they're – yeah, it's like, sure, piles and piles. Yeah. 
Incredible. I've got a dice. I got a bag even bigger than this. I haven't even used. It was from a. Uh, it was from a, a bedding set that Becky bought that was in like a square bag, and this thing's so big I could put it on like a hat. Wow. Yeah, it's that. It's bigger than that Crown Royal bag. It's unbelievable. But anyway, that's that's me. How about you guys, Liz? Um. Well, as far as basic gaming. We have not done anything this past week, although we do have to, one, apologize because we said it was Teeman's online game that we had been playing in, and it really wasn't. <laughs> I don't have a memory problem. <laughs> now the truth is told. <laughs> yeah, it was Angry Monks. Apologies. Yes. Please don't be angry with us, Angry Monk. <laughs> Angrier. <laughs> but, yeah, and... Hopefully, knock on wood, we'll be able to revisit those characters and play online with him again pretty soon if yeah. schedules work out and stuff. Once Liz recovers from her surgery. How yes, did, yeah, which has not happened. It has not happened yet. Well, but by the time this gets on available for being downloaded and stuff, it will have already happened. I wouldn't worry about it, Miss Liz. I've had, I, before I had my dentures, I had all my wisdom teeth out. Didn't bother me at all. Yeah, but I am I'm a major, major weenie. I can't even watch when they draw blood from me at a regular doctor's checkup. Uh-huh. I have to turn my head because Oops. just watching the blood come up into the syringe makes me faint. <laughs> just just uh, just close your eyes and think happy I am thoughts. S- I am still astounded you didn't pass out at the hospital when I was on the gurney after the car accident. I almost did, as I have told you. <laughs> but since you couldn't see what I was doing, <laughs> you my, know, I my, was... my cousin pulled out my wisdom teeth. Now I've got to say he is a dentist. <laughs> well, my an, dentist. an Oklahoma dentist? No, he's well, he's a California dentist. But it's, people go, yeah. What do you do? Tie your your tooth to a string to the doorknob or something? Well, that's the thing. I was going to have my dentist do it, but after he took the x-rays and stuff to look at it he said your tooth is too problematically placed for me to feel comfortable doing this you know it's harder than what i normally do um so he referred me to an oral surgeon yeah and that's why i'm going to be doing it later this coming week and under general anesthesia good girl Uh, which is a good thing because she originally wanted general and it was going to look like I didn't want to be awake while any of this was going on. <laughs> yeah, and the dentist was going to do a local, so. Yeah, I was I was deadened, and, and they pulled my, I remember when the one was in truth they pulled out that, you know, they gave that thing to you to bite on on the other side. Just, you know, it's a r- big rubber thing you bite on. After we got done, he brought me in. I'd bit it in half. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you know what would be cool? Get the teeth afterwards, Liz. And have somebody carve them into dice. <laughs> that would be so cool. Where am I going to find someone who is like, ah, yes, I can carve teeth into dice. Hey, you're so in my podcast, say, gmail.com. I was going to say, now that I've said this, people are going to write in. It's like, as a matter of fact, I do know someone, or I personally do. <laughs> Anybody who does Scrimshaw out there, uh, you know. Or die podcast at gmail.com. That's right. And Mike, what have you been doing? Waiting for her to get her teeth pulled? Well, not actually. I have 
made arrangements with North Texas RPG Con that I'm going to be writing one of their modules for the con this year. Did they? They do cons. Yeah, they do one or two modules every year. The first one was reprints of Palace of the Vampire Queen and Dwarven Glory. But since then, they had some by Tim Cask, some by Dennis Sestari. And this year, I'm going to be writing one of them, and I told them it's going to be for Classic. Right on. Now, now, I got a question. Did they agree to the terms? Yes. They did? Yeah. Happy days. And, so, and congratulations, Mike. Oh, cool. Yeah, I'm giving up a paycheck for this, so they better... <laughs> they better deliver, yeah. <laughs> so. Any any sales of this module go solely toward helping to fund future North Texas RPG conventions. We're all so dime of it. So buy the module when it comes out. You're supporting classic gaming. You're supporting the convention. You're supporting... You're supporting all kinds of good and wonderful things. Go to the convention, buy the modules. You'll be better person for it. Yeah. Well, that's another and, one thing. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Liz. I'm sorry. No, I'm Mike. No, she's talking. I interrupted her. <laughs> no, no. That's pretty much all I wanted to say. Okay. Oh, one more thing I forgot. I'm doing some drawings for... You ever heard of Basic Fantasy RPG? Yes. That's like one of the original ones. Uh, it's a good, pretty good system. It does race a class separate, but it does commit the cardinal sin, in my, in my viewpoint, of ascending armor class. So, I yeah, it's an SRD game, yeah, yeah. Uh, but they had a what they call a field guide, their monster manual that has practically no drawings in it. It's like that got four drawings. So Corey, who's hooked up with them, said, well, "Why don't you do a few?" So that's what I'm doing right now. Okay, yeah. But anyway, that's what we've been doing. And why don't you guys tell us what you're doing at SaverDiePodcast at gmail.com. And speaking of telling us what you're doing, we're finally going to get to those voicemails. Tell us what you're doing, not where to go, please. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, we are getting to the voicemails, Liz. Like this segue, Liz. Mm-hmm. Well, no, it's, this is like I have something to do with the voicemails going up. <laughs> you tell you tell me what we're which order they're in though. Huh? Uh, Andy is the first one. Oh, okay. So, <clears throat> so our first voicemail comes from Andy, and let's take a listen. Okay. Hey, you guys. This is Andy Van, and uh, I had a question for you. I've already asked, uh, left a message with the RFI guys, but I'm very curious about it. From uh, the original D and D point of view, um, all of you have, I think, some fascinating takes on the game. So I'm really looking forward to hear what you have to say about thieves skills. Um, I know this is probably an old discussion; people have gone back and forth. But I've been thinking about it lately in this game I've been playing. It just seems like the thief skills are just so abysmally poor at the beginning of the game, how on earth can they even hope to to survive through the first few levels if you know they were actually thieves working out in the world? Um, and I'm just wondering if any of the games you've played in or any of the games you've run, you've come across a, some way to supplement the the uh, you know very poor chances that thieves have to succeed at any number of their skills the first few levels. Um, anyway, just curious uh, what you guys have 
ever come across or used uh, as I'm trying to put together a campaign and hoping to make Hasif uh, a more attractive uh, class for people to play. Thanks, and uh, keep doing good things. Bye. Well, thanks for that, Andy. And I must agree, that is something that has occurred to me repeatedly uh, in most old-school D&D. This thief, who is at least supposed to be good enough to be let out of the Thieves' Guild to wander the streets and and world alone... Andy hit a pet peeve. (laughs) (laughs) They suck (laughs) when it comes to most skills. But they can climb walls like nobody's business. Well, I said most. You know, <laughs> they can't do anything else, but they can climb. If you're ba- yeah, well, if you're bad at everything else, you want to get the heck out of there any way you can. <laughs> I'd rather be good at the other stuff and not have to climb. It's hard to outrun a save versus poison because you got stuck by a needle trying to open a trap. True. And you know, just just his luck, he'd hit the he'd find the grizzly bear. You know. Yeah. So. Glenn, Yo. do you do anything about that? Hell no. <laughs> Sink or swim, boy. I mean, you know, look, look, at, look, at the, look at the paper wizards over here at first and second level. I was going to say, wizards are in a lot of the same boat at first level or so. It's like, you could cast one spell, and if you're rolling spells randomly, half the time you come up with something totally useless like push. You know, <laughs> which I, I will say... There are occasions when push can be useful. Push oh, yeah, but there are occasions when any spell could be useful. I mean, remember but, the great water spell at the game Saturday. Yeah, but we're all hoping for magic missile. You know we are. <laughs> well, you <laughs> and, know, you get, and you roll push, and you're thinking, oh, we're crying out loud. <laughs> you roll for it? Yeah. Well, depending on how you do it. Oh, you know, true you would roll randomly to see what spell your master had given you. True. I never think about that. I just say, here's the list, pick one. Yeah, you know, and if you're going to be nice and you want your your PCs, you know, you want your player's character to live for a while, you know, you'll be nice and give them magic missile or let them choose. But, but yeah, if you're randomly rolling to see what spell they have, you know, Uh you can come up with some... Yeah. yeah, that's on topic. I don't know how much I don't know how much um, players have thought about this, or maybe some groups that did this. But they ever thought of like you know the the wizards and the thieves kind of sticking together for the first few levels and covering each other's back. Well, as far as being in a dungeon setting, you know, sure that makes sense. But you know, like say the thief is trying to find and remove a poison trap. And he fails his role, and now he has to save or die versus poison. You know, no matter how helpful the wizard is, he's not going to be able to do a whole lot for that. But, but what I'm saying, they should be able to figure out some systems where they can cover each other. I can understand with the save versus poison thing. You know, that's why people buy leather gloves. Mm-hmm. But, uh, <laughs> you know, there should be some way where they say, okay, fine, you know, if, if you can't run very fast, and I can run faster or something like that, or there's a spell I can whip on you that, you know, can get this, you know, save our butts. It'd be nice if they could work together, because that's good character interaction, too. I don't have the answers. That's what I'm saying, but it's a good thing to think about. Yeah. Um, I was going to say, 
you know, with the find remove traps, it can be difficult. If your thief is trying to pick a pocket, and usually the the percentiles are pretty low there too. And realistically, yes, I do agree. You know, no thieves guild is going to let one of their members go out with only a twenty percent chance of successfully picking someone's pocket, unless it's yeah, unless it's like you know, well, you can go out and do that, but if you're caught. You know, yeah, you're we, on your own. Yeah. yeah, we don't know you. You're not part of us. <laughs> uh, we will deny like that. Mission Impossible. You know, if you're yeah. captured, <laughs> we deny your existence. That's <laughs> right. <laughs> um, one of the things I have done to try to make things better, and you know, this is a house rule that I've seen a lot. You know, and it is. It's thoroughly a house rule. This is not by the book in any way, shape, or form, but. You know, giving the player, when they're making their initial thief character, say you have X number of skill points and you decide what percentages of what skills you want your thief to have. Now, that's cool. So if you don't want your thief to be able to climb sheer services at an 87% chance, you know, you can just give them a 30% in that and put those percentage points in something that you feel might be a little more useful to you. That's cool. Uh, I like that. And That's I, from 2E. Sort of. I mean, 2E, you get the base numbers at first level, but then you get points to put in after Well, I mean that. the concept. Yeah, the concept is there, but I like it, and I've been in a lot of games, different editions, where, you know, the DMs do that, because it really does make sense. Okay. So... Good. I am the I am the first to say this is not by the book for basic at all, but it is something you could think about if you are really dead set against what starting out thief skills. You know you don't like the allocation numbers. All of a sudden, I want to play in this game. I don't know. Why. Well, of course you do. I'm cool. <laughs> As opposed to Mike. <laughs> nah, he's cool too. Okay, fine. I guess I could play in a game of his. Sure. Um, yeah. Okay. Well. Uh, Thank you, uh, Andy. Thank you for the question. And uh, shall we move on? Let's do it. All right. Who do we got next here? I couldn't entirely hear the name. It was Dolly something. Dolly. Dolly. Okay. Yeah. Let's hear what he has to say. You know, instead of the Dolly Lama, it was like the Dolly... Dolly Parton? Dolly Parton? No. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Let's take a listen. (laughs) Hey guys, the Dolly Trauma again. I guess it cut me off before. I guess I was taking way too long. But anyway, um, I just wanted to say, uh, just to maybe inspire some discussion about some of the great RPG vlogs that are out there, some great that, that um, are in that OSR spirit, but are taking it into really cool, like new places and have these wonderful resources, these wonderful free uh, resources on their blogs for um, everyone to enjoy. Um, it's been a huge part of my coming back to the fantasy role-playing game uh, world was, you know, guys like Jack Shear and Zach Smith and the guy that does um, Grognardia, which I don't remember his name. Anyway, also, um, I, I, this is something that I've been, like, you know, kind of grappling with for many years, just um, simple shortcuts, simple ways to take um, first edition D&D monsters, 
Um, and then how to how to kind of like just scale or uh, trans you know how to convert their stat their uh, their stats to um, you know the Moldavay uh, basic and the expert rule system in Labyrinth World, which is what I'm using right now for my campaign. So anyway, blogs and hugs and mad love to all of you. I listen to you guys before I go to sleep at night, and so. I fall asleep listening, and that actually kind of sounds creepy that now that I've said that. But um, I really enjoy it, and it's I've never had a lot of gamer friends, and so listening to you guys talk, it's like it's like I have um, a cadre of friends um, over helping <laughs> helping me fall asleep. Um, that is not to say that it's boring, but I listen to it. Yeah, I just think with the advent of the internet, with you know, because there are so many you know fantastic, you know, websites, blogs, you know, podcasts, you know, you name it, you know, it's it's very easy to get back into gaming now because you just have so many things to choose from to oh, heck yeah yeah to listen to to read. It's it's great and. There's no way we could talk about every single That's right. great site out there, but we try to get to them. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I have helped more people get back into gaming and podcasting than I can count because they listen to me and say, well, if, if that idiot can do it, I can do it a lot better than he can, whether it's GMing or podcasting. No Thanks for the voicemail, Dolly. Um, sorry about your first one, but that does bring up a, a thing. Our voicemail only has a very limited memory, so try to keep any you know anything under like a minute or two, because it'll cut you off. Yeah, and it's nice that you listen to us when you go to bed. I'll be there whispering gaming stuff into your ear. Mike will be writing a new superhero game on your computer while you're sleeping, and Liz with her kobolds will be making shoes for you. Um, yeah, yeah, that's no. what I'm going to do. In the closet. <laughs> uh, I listen to all sorts of things as I'm going to sleep on my uh, sand disc, so I yeah. can't. Yeah, I, 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 yeah police sirens, people screaming. No. <laughs> <laughs> you live an interesting life in Oklahoma, Glenn. <laughs> now, last one. Last this one. This is from our pal, DM Kojo. Hey, Coach. Hello, Sidecasters. This is DM Kojo. I'm just calling because you've done several um, episodes on retro clones, and I gotta confess, I just don't see the allure of the retro clone for myself, at least. Um, for example, if I want to play Moldvay Cook, I'm gonna go on eBay and I'm gonna buy the Moldvay and Cook rule books for a pretty decent price if you just want the rule books. And be able to play. And the books will be used, but, uh, you know, probably good enough. And then I'll be playing with the original rules uh, as they were written. Um, I don't see the need, I guess, to go out and buy a Labyrinth Lord product or other retro clone that mimics the core mechanic of um, an existing Dungeons & Dragons product that's still perfectly viable. Although, granted, maybe a little bit harder to get, but... Um, you know, still seems fairly widely available on eBay and Amazon and things like that. So 
I guess I just want to get the general question answered of why retro clones? Why um, you know invest money in something that's uh, you know a facsimile of um, an older game? So I'm not saying it's wrong. Just trying to understand the rationale behind it because it just doesn't seem um, appealing enough to me to go out and want to buy a product. Granted, many of the PDFs are free, but uh, I just play the original. Anyways, keep up the good work. Thanks for everything. Bye. Thanks, Kojo. Yeah, thanks for the call. I I understand where you're coming from, but and I think it's. It's a cultural thing with Americans, um, and that's unfortunate, but there it is. Anything new has to be better. You tell somebody, and not everybody, of course, but a lot of gamers, you know, hey, we're playing a 25-, 30-year-old role-playing game. A lot of them will go, eh, Why? I don't want to play that. It's old. They go, Why? But if you But if you repackage it as Labyrinth Lord or Swords and Wizardry or whatever, suddenly – they're more willing to play. It's crazy, but there it is. And, and, you know, they do do their own takes. A lot of them do their own takes on these games. You know, they, they'll add, like, house rules they've been using and things and make sure it fits. Yeah, I have yet to see a classic clone that is 100% perfectly a copy. That's right. They always do something a little different. Which, again, isn't a deal-breaker necessarily, because I've almost never played in a game ever that was 100% by the book. Right. And if you and if, if you don't buy the Retro Clone itself or download it or whatever, they still have, like, modules, adventures, and supplements that are compatible with this game, which should be compatible with your version of D&D. Another advantage to some of the retro clones is a lot of them, not all of them, but a lot of them have free PDF, no art versions for download. That's right. That's right. Or some even have art versions. Um, so, and, and this also has to do with because they're they're a little harder to find now. These this is the reason retro clones exist. <laughs> well, even beyond that, a lot of the current generation don't necessarily want a hard copy. They want an e-copy on their tablet, yeah, or whatever, or phone, or whatever. They can quick reference. It's, it's, you know, it's, fortunately, yeah. Wizards of the Coast finally got their head out of their hmm, and is offering their PDFs again right. for purchase. So there is a legal way of getting the old versions right. again, and I applaud them for that. But if you're, but if, you, but if you're the semi luddite like me who likes something in his hands to thumb through, you know. There's retro well, clones now. So. Yeah, and quite honestly, I really think that the big appeal of the retro clone is not for us. Yeah, it's for the younger players. Yeah. To get them in. As I, mean, I have said before on the show many moons back, if I don't know much about the clones until we started doing the Attack of the Clones series, because if I want to play Moldbay, I play Moldbay. I don't grab a copy of Labyrinth Lord or... Right. Swords and Wizardry or whatever. Right. Um, and, uh, that's just me. Right. Right. I can understand that. And these com- companies are smart. I mean, they give you the, fr- they give you the basics, basics for free and stuff. You know, it's, it's drugs. The first one's free, you know. <laughs> um, so <laughs> that's another way to get young people in, although I don't really care for the analogy. Uh, <laughs> well, as far as running games at conventions, I 
I think, you know, I really do think that if, you know, a younger person who, say, most of their gaming stuff has been third edition and, you know, up, you know, they go to a convention and they see that someone, you know, they could sign up for a Labyrinth Lord game as opposed to a 1980s, you know, Moldvay or... 1981 Moldvay. Yeah, game, you know, they're going to sign up for the Labyrinth Lord, given the choice, because, you know, well, this is newer. And, you know, whether we like it or not, as a culture, as a society, we're pretty much programmed to think that newer is better than older. Mm-hmm. You know, get rid of old stuff, replace it with new stuff. Right. And so... You know, purely from a, you know, shutter marketing standpoint, you know, if you want to get younger players playing the games that we like, you know, we have to, dare I say, trick them (laughs) by getting them to play these retro clones. And then once they experience the rules and hopefully like them, it's like, hey, guess what? You're playing. (laughs) Yeah. This is is the advantage of the old adage about, being older and craftier over the younger and uh, <laughs> was it agent agent treachery always overcome youth and skill exactly yeah. you know we've been around longer we thought about all this or something like that something like that yeah and you know when you go to a convention oh they're running a labyrinth or game if you're playing BX or, or Metzer or something like that you know Go to, the, go to the Labyrinth Lord game. You know what you're going to get. Practically the same thing. Mm-hmm. So, you know, take your take your BX books with you and just make up a character or borrow somebody's book. You know, you could do you could do that thing blindfolded, and you're going to have a good time. You're just going to have just a good, as good a time as you have the original. Did, I, did that sound blasphemous? Or, <laughs> <laughs> or anything? We still love you, Glenn. Thank you. Uh, but, hey, it's, it's all gaming. It's all good. It's all OSR. It's all good. Excuse me. Brought to you by... <laughs> that scene was brought to you by Crown Royal, the official dice bag of the OSR. Anyway, um, <laughs> uh, do we have any more voicemails? I think that's it. No, that's I it. I believe that's it, yes. Send more at uh, uh, podcast at gmail.com. Anybody got the blah, blah, blah number? I have nothing. Neither <laughs> do I. So it's a mystery. Good luck getting through. Uh, <laughs> it's on the show announcement. So yes. the phone number. Put it on there. It'll be on there. Okay. Well, let's move into game on with our topic of the night. All right. Movies, fantasy movies, bring mostly you, fantasy movies. Bring your popcorn. Oh, I see you guys got a lot to say about it. Okay. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Tons. Yeah. Or we're just waiting for you to, to hog the show since you're the movie buff. Uh, I don't know where to start, really. Uh, <laughs> player, have you encountered obvious movie steals during a game? I know of no player or DM who hasn't. I'll tell you right now. And I'm well, not- give us an example. 
Okay, I'll, t- I'll give you an example. Sure. We all, I made my friends, believe it or not, when it first came out, and they never saw it. I made them sit down when it came out on video to watch the original RoboCop. What was in our Champions game next week? A precursor to Ed 209. Hmm. <laughs> fine. Okay. I'll give you another example. D&D. Okay, fine. My, my last two games of D&D, and I believe it was 1E, was, see, I'm getting closer, um, basically riff on um, Real Bravo. But basically we had a high-level mage who had a brother who was a higher-level mage trying to get him out of jail, and we were protecting him in jail until the high magistrate comes in, comes through. So Basically protecting the prison from repeated assaults. Right. So basically I took the plot of Real Bravo, just retooled it for fantasy, and used it. Okay. We even had a Walter Brennan dwarf as a deputy. It was great. (laughs) (laughs) How about you guys? Oh, gosh. (laughs) I put her in. (laughs) I stumped Liz. Wow. (laughs) Well, I don't, I cannot remember as a player, you know, a specific movie steal that I came across. Okay. Um, I mean, I know there had to have been some, but I, I don't remember it really. So either it wasn't very obviously done, or you know, I'm just I'm having memory loss problems myself. But <laughs> okay. um, I do know I've taken ideas and stuff, and uh-huh. I've I've tried not to make them really obvious. But well, yeah, you, know, you try not to. Do a total ripoff. Yeah. yeah. Try and go your own way on that. Yeah. But hey, you know, anything that inspires you is good. Yeah. It's a good thing. How about you, Mike? I was in a game once where the big baddie had a teleporting castle, a la Krull. Oh, I was thinking of Howl's Moving Castle. <laughs> I- I'm ashamed to say that's the first thing that crossed my mind too. <laughs> was that Howl's Moving Castle <laughs> anime? Uh- Oh, boy. <laughs> oh, wait, not Kroll. I, my bad. It was Labyrinth, wasn't it? Not Labyrinth, uh, Legend. Legend, ah. yes. Was that it? Okay, well, anyway, one of those with the teleporting <laughs> castle. I, 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 am, I, am, uh, I am guilty of, uh, after I saw The Last Starfighter, I created a mage spell based on the Death Blossom, <laughs> where the mage just levitates up about five feet and starts spinning around, shooting energy through, you know, all over the place. It was bizarre, to say the least. <laughs> Sorry, I'm chuckling. Because when we were in reenactment, there was a guy in the group nearby that had this sword fighting technique he called the Dance of Death, which he claimed he he, he perfected from the last Starfighter. And as, far as, as far as we could always tell, the only death that it was resulting in was his. But, <laughs> But that anyway. was so cool, I had to incorporate it in my D&D game. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. That's that's how I would like to see a Berserker wizard. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Something like that. Oh. I, I, I read my incantation in a fury. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> what happened? Uh, magic missiles. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Have you ever had a have you ever uh, have you ever had characters get like 
I don't know, the one ring or some kind of item that you stole out of a movie. That I stole? Anybody stole. You know, did the DM ever hand out something? You know, well, I'm ashamed to admit that when I was in my early teens, I did do up the sword from Sword and the Sorcerer. Really? Was that the three-bladed one? Yep. Or the blade shootout? shootout. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I still see, <laughs> I still see Hal's bow. Is it Hal's bow from the Dungeons and Dragons cartoon pop up in games? Hank's, Hank's, Hank's bow still pop up in D and D games. Oh yeah, at, yeah, that's one the of the days. Yeah, at the charity game <laughs> last year at North Texas, it popped up. Somebody got it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's when Frank Mitzer asked if Tiamat was going to show up. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, I put that in game in there too, in a, like an early, early D and D game that I did. It was just such it's such a cool idea, you know. Also, the <clears throat> glaive from Krull, which messed me up when I first saw it because I didn't know what a real glaive was, and then when I was looking in the unearthed arcana and everything, it's like that's not a glaive. A glaive's like a round thing with blades all over it that you throw like a throwing star, and it's <laughs> like no. They lied. That's a that's a neat that's a neat thing though. Yeah, it's just not a glaive, but they so, called it a glaive for some reason. But nobody handed out like Elric's sword or you know anything mm-hmm. like that. El- no. Now I'm going literature again. So yeah, that's literary. Yeah, I don't think there was any movies. If so, I missed them. Yeah, I'm, I was always in the day. I was always like seeing something neat. And how do I how do I fix how do I crouch this in fantasy so I can use it in D. Mm-hmm. I was always doing that because I watched a lot of movies back then. I was going to say, I will say, this wasn't anything that any of our PCs got, but I seem to recall there was a game at some point that I played where one of the evil wizards had that ring uh-huh. from the Beastmaster movie that had the eye that opened up and looked around. Oh, Yeah. It's like, I, I can't remember anything more than that, but I just have this vague memory that one of the evil guys had that had that ring. Eyeball ring, with, yeah. Yeah, with the eye. So, so that's the one any, that I remembered. So did anybody have Profion's Rod of gra- Dragon Control in anybody's game? Not that uh, I recall. <laughs> you know, then you've got to start acting like Jeremy Irons, so... <laughs> <laughs> Oh, the first D&D movie. The first uh, D&D that, movie. Oh, God. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I felt really bad for Jeremy Irons in that movie. It's he like, didn't. He got paid. Yeah, still, though. I mean, it's like, you know he he's gets a razzed. real actor. Yeah, he gets razzed about that at, at Hollywood parties. But yeah. It is so much fun to watch him just chew this. Him and his his dragon, his second-in-command, when they're on camera, it's ham-to-ham combat. I swear to God. <laughs> Was that Blue Lips? Yeah, Mr. Blue Lips. Yeah. Oh, they're, yeah. So, they're both just chewing scenery right Not there. even Tom Baker and Richard O'Brien could save that movie. No, but it was nice to see him in there anyway. They, yeah, yeah. They, I'm on my way. Yeah, I can, I can see Richard O'Brien. I'm just on my way to Dark City. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, what's the advantages of playing in those kind of worlds? I mean, t- say, take the whole, you know, the whole tamale and just plop your characters into it. Yeah, I played in a campaign that somebody based on the movie Excalibur, really? which is loosely, loosely based on Mallory's Lamorta Darthur. It didn't. It was. It wasn't the Pendragon game. 
No. Okay. This is well before Pendragon. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I had a guy who created um, Montregar and Scorch from the Wizards movie. <laughs> we were running around in the airplane like elves and dwarves and stuff like that, trying to stop the orcs and stuff with the technology. With machine guns. And orcs. Hey, God, Fritz. Exactly. But it was, if I remember, like late in the 90s, they put out in, our, in a Wizards RPG. I think that's what happened. He got a hold of that and said, oh, I'm just going to do this in D&D. And, you know. Yeah. Well, that's how it was in the late 70s, early 80s. There weren't that many supplements. And I think Fossa was the first one to really start getting movie or TV licenses for games. Like, like Star Wars and stuff like that? Or, no, Star Trek. Star Trek, that's right. The Star Trek game from Fossa. I want to hear how many people out there ripped off Star, the original Star Trek for, for plots. Because I'll bet there were a lot of DMs out there who did that. <laughs> Probably. Because um, they were very easy to it would be very easy to, you know, you know who we should have had on the show. We should have had full on, Mister Mister. I know how to reskin anything. This <laughs> the guy who plays. Yeah, there was a science fiction movie called Galaxy of Terror that I ripped off because it was a dungeon crawl for all intents and purposes. It was really? an ancient I alien I temple. That. It was an alien temple, and it was apparently one elaborate test, and basically the whole thing was set up for you to run in to fight your own fears hmm. and if you failed you were like devoured and or mess or killed and then you're kind of like a semi undead who's, oh, wow. who's helping to accost the others wow and it, it was you know it was a early 80s splatter fest but you know the concept was kind of neat how about all those cheesy sword and sword and wizard swords and wizardry movies they turned out around that time like the dun- oh, yeah. the dungeon master and um, most of these I saw on HBO or Showtime at the time, mm-hmm. so I never got to see the movie trailers. But when we bought the DVDs recently or, and watched the trailers, I was amazed at how they managed to stick the words dungeons and, and dragons. dragons. <laughs> and Sometimes not completely together, but very close <laughs> with <laughs> emphasis. So it's like, oh, you guys are so trying to play on D&D here. Oh, yeah. Get them in. Get them in. What was that one, um, the one you guys liked? that you Hawk the about? Slayer? Hawk the Slayer. Oh, gosh. That's another good one you could Yeah. yeah Hawk the Slayer with, with the guy's brother who looked like his grandpa. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. <laughs> Jack, pa- my brother, Jack Palance. You know? Oh, Lord. And of course. And of course. Because I'm 18 and he's 48. What? Yeah, let's, let's all, let's all, you know, let's all role play in gore. Let's not. <laughs> okay. oh, oh. I saw that movie, Outlaw of Gore. Fortunately, I saw it at Mystery Science Theater. That's, that's how we saw it. Yeah. That's probably Actually, the only that's way you true. could watch it. I saw the original when it was both movies together, Gore and Outlaw of Gore, when it was first put out as a three-and-a-half-hour Dino De Laurentiis movie. And, oh, yeah, ow. Kevin. I was living in the boonies of East Texas at that time, so I was going to the Blockbuster, and if it had a sword or a, or magic or fantasy of any kind, I rented it. Cause and those are the kinds of things you can dredge up for your D&D games that nobody's going to call you on it. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. true. Yeah. Um, Kevin. Kevin. Anyway, <laughs> Beastmaster was one for 
I think for the entire 80s, I mean, a game, anytime a new group got together, there was inevitably one person who wanted to play a Beastmaster. Did, he go, th- did he go through the Portal of Time? No, this no. was well before Portal of Time. Okay. Okay, yeah, I, I get you. It was, it was a good film, goodish film. It's just some of the characters, they had the actor from Good Times in there. Oh, gosh. Who, you know, I, he's supposed to be this badass, you know, oh, the, the father yeah. guy. But every time I look at him, I think of, you know, the dad from Good Times. <laughs> and then the kid was the annoying kid from Voyagers. <laughs> so just like. You oh. were hoping for him to die, weren't you? Yes. I did. I I did have a DM who was cheesy enough for us to have to fight David Lopan um, in a D&D setting. That was fun. Who? David Lopan of Big Trouble in Little China. Oh. The main bad, yeah. You're really beginning to piss me off. Exactly, that guy. <laughs> and try as I might, I could not work the red and black electrodes into D&D. Because mm. <laughs> I wanted all these, these monsters raced all named John. <laughs> John Mini Jars. <laughs> yes. John, yeah, yeah. John Iron Ration. <laughs> okay, well, I think we've pretty much beaten this to death from the player's point of view, so let's move into DM Fiat. Nope. Sorry. What? Uh, nope, you're wrong. Look it up. I don't have to look it up. It's common knowledge. Nope. No, no, no! DM Dog Fiat, a DM Fiat. Yes. And we'll start this off by Fiat. When you've used such things in your games, magic items or classes or even a whole setting, how soon did you have any problem with your players catching on and trying to use meta knowledge of the movie or whatever to? To try to sneak in an advantage? No. No? They were too dumb. I mean, no. They were <laughs> no. I hope none of your players are listening. <laughs> players? What players? Uh, <laughs> no, because I'd pull them out of something other than fantasy. And mm-hmm. it was... And it, I, for one, I, You watch obscure movies? No exactly. way. Exactly. For one, I'd pull it out of something other than fantasy. And two, the movies are probably so old, nobody's caught them. No. I pull, I made a whole campaign I never got to run. I was going to run it with multiple DMs on a movie on an Orson Welles movie based called Mr. Arcaden. Probably one of his last ones he made. It's a real interesting movie and whether you like the movie or not the plot is really good. And it's like I could do this in D&D and nobody would catch it. So that's kind of the way I roll. I've never mm-hmm. imported stuff just whole cloth. I mean, I'll take bits and pieces from things. So, like, for instance, you know, the whole plot, the plot of the Dark Crystal, right. where you have to get this crystal shard and put it into, you know, the bigger piece to have, you know, you know. Right. Yeah. Um, so I would say take that idea for a quest idea, but you're not in the Dark Crystal world. And so knowing the plot of the Dark Crystal is not going to help you finish this quest. You know, so Right, you're not so that's 
Yeah, so that's that's kind of how I try to do things. You know, people might notice, it's like, oh, this plot is from the Dark Crystal. It's like, yeah, it's from the Dark Crystal, but knowing the Dark Crystal is not going to help you finish this game. <laughs> you know? Right. Yeah. Hey, have you two, I want to ask, have you two ever thought of taking like the, see, the nice thing about sto- some story arcs, if it's set up as a story arc, you can use the arc without using the plots. Um, and still have something to work with. Have you guys ever taught, taken like the skeleton frame of the plot of the Key of Time? Oh, the so, Doctor Who Key to, Key to Time. Exactly. He had to, he had a he had the a gratuitous time. Doctor Who reference in this episode. Brought to you by Garden by, by Crown Royal, the official <laughs> OSR. Um, no, but I'd say like he had to get the pieces of Key of Time, but within that there were plots. How he got the key. Yeah, he yeah, has to have each, an adventure each time. Right. right, and that's where you can, like, okay, how are we going to do this? And just put your own adventures in there. <laughs> there, I gave you I gave you a plot, uh, an arc. Thank you. Yeah, we've, uh, yeah oh, I've done uh-huh. that before. <laughs> <laughs> in okay. fact, in D&D, there's several things that kind of play off that anyway, with this, depending on, you know, what kind of artifacts you're using or that sort of thing. Right. The rod of seven parts, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, have the seven parts scattered, and mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I call it the rod of seven parts if my group stays together that long. <laughs> and the rod of this part and six others that we're probably never going to bother to find. Yeah, yeah, I've had that happen. Uh, I had one where um, well, that's the problem. You've got to have an interesting plot hook to keep your party interested, or they'll go right. on off and. Well, the arc helps that, that since you have an overarching plot hook saying, okay, I've heard that this part of the rod is over here. You don't know what the hell's going on over there. That's for the GM to deviously plan. So, yeah, but you may also have to throw in, and if you don't do this, the world will be destroyed. True. Other than, oh, well, let somebody else handle it. I'm going to go get drunk. Yeah, well, that, that should be set up at the get. You know, they should understand the get. Fine. If you don't do this, then your favorite logger will be destroyed. No. <laughs> you know? the, the, okay, I'm in. <laughs> stop making the ale you like. Yeah. But, yeah, talking about the running campaign worlds, that's the thing I always had a trouble with Middle-Earth role-playing, uh-huh. which was originally put out by ICE, Iron Crown. I remember. Um, I, m- maybe it's just me, but I've never been that interested in playing in a grand campaign world, You know, especially one that's very detailed that somebody else did. Oh, you don't like the Forgotten Realms? No, I don't. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, let me rephrase that. I, like, I don't mind reading about the Forgotten Realms, like the novels or stuff, uh-huh. but I've never had any real interest in playing in the Forgotten Realms. Huh. Okay. I don't. Um, well, for one thing, it's too friggin' high magic for me. I don't like that level of high magic in games, but mm-hmm. even beyond that, it just... Eh. And now that Mike has said that, in the interest of full disclosure, I should mention that the two of us are playing in a Forgotten Realms campaign. <laughs> <laughs> but that... I, I'm not playing in it because it's a Forgotten Realms campaign. In fact, I'd probably prefer it to be Greyhawk or even something of Chase's own design. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm just not a fan of Forgotten Realms. Sorry, Mr. Greenwood. Oh, well. Um, you know, it's... Uh, I, I 
I'm kind of agree with you about you know being too sweeping. I can deal with the realms because you're gonna you can plug myself out of some some bohunk hick town and I'd be happy. Um, the problem I I never wanted. It's funny I never wanted to adventure in Middle Earth, whether it's D and D or Merp or whatever. Um, I think Middle Earth is story driven rather than character driven. And yeah. you know you're saying it's too high magic in the realms. Well, it's too low a magic in the in the in Middle Earth, and you know I wouldn't change it because that's the way it's engineered. It's like I wouldn't play Pendragon. I wouldn't want to deal with Ar- Arthur's Britain mm-hmm. um, because you know it just seems kind of boring to me. Um, well, that's part of the problem, or a problem that you can have running a game or playing in a game in an established world because you feel like you know so much about it, you can feel hamstrung. It's like, what can I do to make a difference in this world when all of the important stuff has already been done or is, quote-unquote, supposed to be done by these other characters Right. Which can be a problem with the Dragonlance modules. Oh yeah. There's not a lot that you can do as a player playing in the modules because all of the important stuff is supposed to be done by off stage. You know, yeah, off stage by you know Raceland, Caramon, all those other guys. You know, you can't do anything about it. And it's nothing, all them. And nothing irritates me more as a player than to have come up with an idea on how to deal with a scenario or a situation. Uh-huh. There is no plausible reason why it should not work. Right. But it doesn't work because I'm told, well, you can't kill this guy because the story requires him to live to live until blah setting. I, I hate that in modules. I hate that in games. As a DM... I always feel like if my players come up with a really ingenious way to whack this guy, no matter what the story or the movie or whatever claimed it to be, they should get away with it because that's rewarding good play. And you know what? That doesn't mean he's going to stay whacked. Well, yeah, that's different. You know, then there's other ways. You know, he gets resurrected or that sort of thing. Then, Then it's okay. We didn't take care of that as a possibility. But, you know, just to be told, no, story trumps. He gets away. I understand. It's just, I don't like it as a player, and I don't, as a DM, I try not to do that to my players. Right. And the problem with a pre, a movie especially, because, frankly, more people are going to have seen a movie than even read the books in Appendix N of AD&D or whatever, um, they're going to come in with a preconceived set of notions. And if you, as the DM do something that they feel does not fit in that idea of the movie, you know, you're violating it, they 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 cry foul. Yeah, that's not right. That is not right. I don't I don't believe in that. Um, that's why I you know I pick and choose if I'm gonna use a reference or steal something from a movie, I pick and choose and be very yeah. careful about that. And when people put out, you know, a new supplement to, for this game to make it play like this movie, oh, eh, I might steal an idea or two, but am I going to run the whole supplement? No. You know, I saw the modules they turned out for the Avatar trilogy, 
and the Conan movies, and I looked at them, and I'm going, I'm not playing these. I'm not. I'm not DMing these. I'm not even buying these. Yeah, <laughs> Hyperborea, um, another campaign world I've had no real desire to run or play in. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm going to. I'm going to be her- heretical here. Mm-hmm. I liked Conan the Destroyer, the okay. second movie. Now, I liked it too. I will say. <laughs> The best way to enjoy it is to just forget that pretend he's Conan. It's not, yeah, pretend it's, it's not, not Conan. Howard's Conan. This is a D&D movie. And, and, and it uh, works for that. You've got the fighter, you've got the thief, the magic user, the Amazon, the party, you know, marching in order, fighting bad guys. And, and, I'll, and, I'll, and I'll tell you, you know, what helps is a little bottle from the captain. <laughs> well, <laughs> or Crown Royal, or Crown Royal, the official <laughs> dice bag of the LSR. Oh, that's going to be that's a thing now. Sorry, hey, I need to email Crown Royal to see if we can get them as a sponsor. For this the might show. this might jump over to uh, Thaco's Hammer too. So <laughs> we're going to start getting emails from people. Saying, you put you got you got my son into drinking Crown Royal. See, that's because what I, that's of what, that's what I always said back in the day to worry about Satanism. I said, with all the Crown Royal bags, I should have been worried about alcoholism. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I can see it next week. Well, what did you do D&D? This? Uh, nothing, but I got a case of Crown Royal from uh, <laughs> from the people for keep mentioning Crown Royal. Um, okay, to close out DM Fiat, uh-huh. if you had to make a recommendation on to a DM on how to run... A, a generic, a movie-based campaign. What would you give? Uh, well, first of all, generic and movie-based are kind of an oxymoron. Well, I say generic is I'm not <laughs> going to say a specific movie. But right. I would say take it in broad strokes. Um, yeah. Don't try and don't try and duplicate exactly a movie. Take the take the setting, maybe a few of the NPCs and major characters. Um, try and put it in a time period either before or after or some other time. Like the Star Wars game is great because you can plan things any time in the timeline there. So you can mm-hmm. avoid any of the movies if you want. And the mm-hmm. same thing with D&D. You can play, God forbid, the D&D world and have nothing to do with any of those plots of those movies. So that's my advice. Liz? Um, I would have to agree with Glenn. Try to just take, you know, the big picture parts mm-hmm. of a movie setting that you like you know and if you must take a main character from that movie as well to be an important NPC only take one don't take a right. whole bunch of them and you know because if you because if you do follow too closely you're far more likely to have the players Saying that's not what it is, what it's like. That's not what happens. Mm-hmm. So you have to try. You have to be very general in what you take. Um, and as a matter of fact, you know, if you can think of a really good juxtaposition, try to take two movies and dovetail them together into one setting. And that muddies the waters a little bit, but you're still being able to take ideas, you know, that are already there for you. Um, 
Yeah, that's that's all I that's all I can think of. Um, okay. How about you? Bob? I guess my big piece of advice would be if you're going to take a movie mostly whole cloth, I, I would agree about the broad strokes and stuff. But one thing I would emphasize is get rid of the movie heroes. Good idea. Your players' characters should be the heroes. Nothing is more irritating than being the second banana to an NPC who's going around and doing all the cool stuff. Well, you played the TSR Indiana Jones game then. (laughs) No. (laughs) No, I've played plenty of other games where the DMs do that. They've got this NPC that they're so in love with that is just so awesome, and they have them basically doing everything cool, making all the right assumptions, basically telling the PCs what to do. Mm-hmm. And it's a very lazy way of trying to make the player's characters go a particular way. Yeah, It's very ham-fisted, and most players, their first reaction is, well, no, I'm going to go the exact opposite just because you're trying to force me down this rabbit hole. Exactly. So nobody likes being being the, the, the also-ran. So if you're going to take a movie, take the heroes out of it and do your best to make your PCs into the heroes. Tell Batman to go home, yes. Mm. Yes. Or make Batman really, really old and retired, and you can occasionally go to him for advice, but he's not going to be there to save your bacon or do anything like that. Advice or insight, but yeah, not Mr. Perfection to fix all problems. Right. Right, he's not going to be this super detective. Yeah. And with that, let's go into random encounters. Okay. We take what we want and leave the rest. Just like your salad bar. Nothing up must leave. Presto! You will come out no more. What? Huh? What will come out no more? Random encounters. Random encounters. We're going to talk about stealing... A particular monster or NPC from a movie. Have you oh. ever done it? How did you do it? Oh boy, where to start? Um, one example will be fine. Mm. Well, you know, I've got character actors from movies floating around my D and D campaigns, based oh. on character actors that I've seen. Well, uh, how about a monster then? Okay, a monster. Well, I already gave. Well, the Ed Two and I. Yeah, that's not D and D. I know. Um, yeah, I've used the Rancor before. <laughs> I'll have to okay. say. Um, they stuck about, put them in a cave. Boy, did they have fun. Uh, I think I had almost a TPK on that one. But, uh, yeah, the Rancor, uh, one NPC that always seems to pop up is Joseph Carrion, Necromancer. Carrion? Yes, Joseph. <laughs> he's this little tiny guy with bug eyes. Uh, I did it. I used him as a bad guy in the Lumpers uh, audio thing I did for RFI. I kind of changed him to a Richard O'Brien type. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he always seemed to be Peter Laurie. <laughs> but that was perfect for a necromancer. <laughs> and uh, okay. that's mine. Liz? Oh, gosh. Well, I'm kind of ashamed to admit it because this is kind of going into stereotypical girl territory, I feel. Uh-oh. But uh, it's, 
Yeah, yeah. I did once import the Luck Dragon from Neverending Story into the Puppy Dragon. Yes, into into my D and D games. Yeah, you ought to be ashamed of yourself. <laughs> well, you were what, thirteen, fourteen? Yeah. Nevertheless, I did it, and I'm a little embarrassed about it, but I still, in my heart of hearts, think it was pretty cool. <laughs> it was, it was. I mean, you think it's cool. Did it work? Yeah, it worked. Okay. So nothing I didn't have them. Have. I didn't have them going around in packs or, you know, people being able to make pets out of them or anything, but... Not like blink dogs. No, 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 no. <laughs> Jim and I still want our blink dogs. You will get blink dogs. You mean Jim Wampler? Yes. Jim the Wampler. A jumping Jim Wampler? Yeah. Yes, indeed. See? I got give it right this blink. time. Give us our blink dogs. <laughs> sort of now-ish. So I want my jetpack. I want my blink dogs. <laughs> okay. Uh, I think I've stolen several monsters, but I think the one that I always kind of enjoyed the most. Um, well, I know Liz has seen it. Have you seen Beastmaster, Glenn? Me? Uh, no, I saw the second one. Okay. There was a monster. I forget the name of it. I called it the Enfolder, but they were, Liz, you might remember them. They were kind of in that smoky swamp. They kind of had these long, membranous, almost cloaks off their arms. Uh huh. And they had no mouths, just eyes. And Beastmaster was fighting some generic bad guys, and they would enfold them. Ooh. Around, you know, wrap their arms in their, that, uh, membrane around them and then they'd be like struggling a bit and then they'd open it up again and just bones would fall out whoa yeah those those were fun whoa. oh my goodness yeah basically i i had kind of a acid basically anything but bones and metal would get devoured and just spit out those were fun my players hated those wow wow yeah. wow sir i had them avoiding swamps after a while because they were always in swamps. It's like, no, screw that. <laughs> It'll be three extra days of travel. It's worth it. <laughs> much. Any uh, any memorable NPCs based on movie people, really? Uh, I had a uh, wizard based on Willy Wonka, Gene Wilder's character. Ah, good choice. Hey. Sounded sounded goofy and kind of absent-minded, uh-huh. but was really actually quite powerful, and you did not want to cross him. <laughs> Take it up to the uh, turn of the millennium. I'll bet there's a lot of uh, swashbuckler characters running around there uh, based on his sort of cousin, uh, Jack Sparrow. Because <laughs> they, they look like they're – they sound like they're related, you know. <laughs> He's kind of goofy, too, but you wonder sometimes. I wonder how many listeners ever used, say, Venger. Venger? Venger. Oh, my yeah. goodness. I mean, that just seems to sort of scream. I don't know. How, how many people have well, these little hobbit trolls running around called Dungeon Master, too? <laughs> no. Yodas. 
little little Yoda's called Dungeon Master, and you know, we had a standing order in our party. Anything that turns up that even resembles Uni, we kill. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's a given. I mean, yeah, well, sure. You know, sometimes when you're looking at Dungeon Master in the D and D cartoon series, you know, he has kind of an evil little grin on his face, and you start to wonder. Which just proves is he's he a dungeon master. It's like, is he really, you know, being fair to these kids? You know? you put, Maybe he's really the bad guy. You put a pair of dark Maybe glasses. Maybe Vinger's just misunderstood. You put a pair of dark glasses on him and put him in front of a screen. It's Mike with devilish grin and all. Mike has more hair. Yep. Well, so on the top of his head anyway. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know the rest of Dungeon Master. Do you, Glenn? <laughs> That's why he wears those big robes. <laughs> yeah. My man's a Yeti. But anybody growing up in the late 70s and 80s in gaming, I would challenge that one time or another, if they ran a game and did not have a bad guy in big black armor uh-huh. with deep breathing, oh God, yeah. I'm sure that yeah, I challenge anybody to say they didn't do that. If they were growing up in that time. Yeah, yeah. You got to have a Vader. I mean, heck, even Dragon Magazine had an adventure in there where they had... A Vader? The big black... Yeah, DV, they called him. Oh, boy. The big guy in black. And it turns out it's actually a halfling. <laughs> and a <chest> <laughs> plate. And it's, yeah, it's kind of clockwork. Oh, boy. And, and he has a breathing tube, which is why you have the deep breathing. Oh, God. And James and James Earl Jones standing beside him, behind him, yeah, or something. Or something. Anyway, what was that? It's like the gem of true seeing, or something like that. The it was a two part adventure. Ah, ah. Any TV shows besides Dungeons and Dragons you guys ever used? Just a, no. I know. Well, other than you know the ubiquitous, occasional stealing an idea from Star Trek. Oh, I used the Horda once. Did you? Yeah, because, um, I mean, that thing's made ideal for dungeons. Mm-hmm. And I, especially since, oh, we're guarding both ends of the passage. It doesn't matter. It's going to burrow right through the rock. <laughs> it's oh, God. I, it's not fantasy, but uh, I, stopped, I stopped letting my roommate run Western games, like Western Hero, every, <clears throat> at the time, because <clears throat> excuse me, every time we would start out, it was always turned into the wild, wild west. Every well, single time. And I told him, I don't want to mix that in with my... I want to be John Wayne. Well, the original Boot Hill game, at least the revised version, had a section in the back, the fastest guns that never lived. And it was all the TV and movie characters from the 40s, 50s, and 60s. Wow. But he would always want to work into like the mechanical this and the steam that. As much as I love steampunk now, at the time I, you know, I just wanted a straight western, you know. Yeah, I kind of know what you mean. Yeah. Um, I know it's kind of iconic for early seventies and early eighties or late seventies, early eighties D and D. But I've always been ambivalent about the having technology. In my D and D world, you know, with I understand and that sort of thing. That's another discussion. Um, Wizards and warriors. <laughs> that hey, never got to see that. And we're talking about the TV show, not yeah, the yeah, wrestling. The, yeah, the TV show uh, and thing. You know, 
I was 13, 14 years old when it came on. Uh-huh. I I thought it was the stuff. You know, watching them again, you know, you can find some of them on YouTube, that sort of thing. Watching them again as an adult, you know, I kind of wince a little. Oh, yeah. But as a very young teenager, you know, I was just thrilled to death that something like that was on TV. And, you know, I it I got a lot of inspiration and stuff for doing D&D games for my cousins and things like that, you know, watching the show. It's it's funny, all those shows from the period, they just like you watch them now and you go, Dying, huh? <laughs> Uh, I have the set of Ellery Queen mysteries with Jim Hutton, and I loved them when they were there, when they were on TV. You know, I watch them every week, and I got the set and I watched them, and I knew they're from like the '80s, and I watched them. All I could do was stare at the haircuts <laughs> because it was period. And I'm going, why does he have hair over his collar? Why? That's all I could think of through the whole damn thing. It's like these haircuts aren't right. <laughs> Oh yeah, you know, watching Wizards and Warriors, you know, all these guys with their '80s feathered hairstyles. Uh huh. Uh-huh. You know, yeah, they're they're not going to be. No one's going to really look like that. But you know, never occurred to me watching it at the time. He's like, "This is cool." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> totally uh, cool. Is that, it's, what was that one? Deathstalker. Uh huh. Oh, that's or another. Deathstalker too. Deathstalker and the Warriors from hell. From hell, yeah. Yeah, I watched that Mystery Science Theater. It's like, I said, damn, how many people got hair extensions in this movie? <laughs> oh, Deathstalker 2 was great. It had the wrestling ring in the middle of the woods. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm just and, flashing back at all the movies that you could have ripped off, like Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome. It's great for D&D. Well, arguably, and it's been mentioned before, the whole idea of you know, the Dungeons and Dragons implies uh-huh. a higher culture that collapsed. Right. You know, sort of like post-Roman Empire or, you know, it's it's post-apocalyptic, really. Could. That's why there's all these dungeons around with with lost treasures and great things. Oh, and as far as characters go, before Drizzt, before even Wolverine that everybody wanted to base their character on, how many people made fantasy versions of the man with no name? I did not. I, could, I did not. I could count at least three people, three players out there who had a Clint Eastwood clone. Spaghetti fantasy. Yeah. yeah. In D&D. Hmm. And they would all talk like this. Well, let's not forget the yeah. entire monk class in original D&D was taken from the Kung Fu TV yeah. show. Kung Fu, Bruce Lee, all that. Yeah, yeah. I know. I, I, sh- I shamelessly, when I was in three five, I shamelessly made a gunfighter who had. He was based on Lee Marvin in Cat Baloo. Half drunk most of the time. <laughs> Only way he could shoot when he was drunk. Okay. Well, to wrap up this conversation about movies, we're going to skip products of your imagination since oh, we're not sure. any particular thing. Right. Um, I'll ask each of you to name, of all the fantasy movies you know, what would you say is most iconically D&D to you? And we're going to start with Liz this time. Thank you. Hawk the Slayer. Hawk the Slayer? That is my my iconic D&D feel movie, is Hawk the Slayer. Defend. 
Well, you've got the archetypal characters. You've got the elf who's, you know, the tracker, good with the longbow, insanely good with the longbow. Yeah, the guy couldn't act, but, you know, ignoring that for the moment, you've got the elf character. You've got the heroic fighter or, you know, character, Hawk. You've got the blind seeress who helps them out and guides them on their quest. You've got the giant. You've got the dwarf. You know, there's just, you have so many of the iconic, you know, character archetypes all coming together as a party in Hawk the Slayer. And like bad evil guy Jack yeah. Allen's. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. And you know, especially between you know the giant character and the the dwarf character, you know, you've got that back and forth banter that you will often hear around a gaming table. Um, I I can't not watch Hawk the Slayer and not think of D and D. Mm-hmm. Okay. You still need time, Glenn? No. Okay. I Over am. To you. I am so tempted to say "Record of Lotus War." Well, that's pretty it good. Is, actually. It is very iconic, it is, but it's kind of like a cheat because these guys played D and D and they based it all off of D and D. You will find the iconic humanoids. You'll find the iconic characters in there: a berserker, a drow. Why is that a cheat? The people hey. who, who did the first D&D movie should have been able to cheat, but they... <laughs> I understand. So. I mean, it's like, okay, the most... All right, fine. The most D&D movie, and it's a series. The Record of Lotus War, I'll have to say. Mm-hmm. I was going to say the d you know, Jackson, I'll movie, but I'll, I'll go with that. Because I remember, I got the whole set, and it was... <clears throat> I said, that's D&D right there. No, I'll buy that. I mean... Wizards, clerics, and everything. Yeah, just get away from the inevitable Japanese giving weird English names to people. If you didn't... If you, if like the thief, Woodchuck. Yeah. The great goddess, Martha. Yeah. Martha. <laughs> and, and, I'll, and I'll tell you, if they could have got either gotten around copyright or known the Japanese wouldn't care about copyright, there would have been a Beholder in there or a Mind Flayer mm-hmm. at 2012, the Wizards of the Coast. But, you know, it wasn't, so they couldn't, but everything else just it clicked. Yeah. I'll go with that. David had a great dungeon crawl in there in the first episode. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Well, for me, nostalgia wants to say Sword and the Sorcerer, because I just love that movie, even though I see all its mini warts. But I can't, because in the end, there was really only one character to speak of. What's that? Talon, the main character. I mean, there was no party and generally, to me, if it's going to be iconic D&D, it's got to have a party of people. Right. Uh, not just the hero. Right. So that it doesn't quite work for me. Also, same with Beastmaster. Although at least he sort of had a party with the two pilgrims. But really, I and I'll know I'll get flack for it, it's going to have to be Conan the Destroyer. Oh, okay. I was going to say... You have the party. Yeah, you do. Yeah. You've got the iconic party, you've got the, the jibes and occasional snarky comments between each other. Right. Um, okay. I was going to suggest Lady Hawk, but... It's a very small party, though. Yeah, party, yeah. Of, party of three. <laughs> <laughs> Lady Hawk, party of three. 
Well, I, you know, I it, back in the day that had a like really seems like all the female gamers I played with wanted to do something from Lady Hawk, play the little thief or something. I, I actually I would argue that because and all, and all the guys wanted really to only have a fighter and a thief. And all the guys who wanted to play the f- fighter was always arguing with the DM. What do you mean I can't throw my sword? Mm. <laughs> I should be able to shoot a lot more crossbow bolts quicker than that. Because yeah. on the movie, yeah, yeah. Look, it is- but that gets back to the whole thing of yeah. let's run a game all based off a movie, and then the players go, "Well, they did it in the movie. Why can't I do it here?" Because I said so. Dang it! <laughs> dang it! Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. So anyway. Uh, for our listeners, if you disagree with any of our movies or think we forgot something, go write home. In. Oh, sorry. Write in. Go home to your computer and write <laughs> I did. Yeah. <laughs> to saverdiepodcast at gmail.com. That's right. And the number when we think of it. And now our movie is ending. The credits are rolling. Going the down that. playing. Leaving the theater and going down that highway. Yeah. How you heading now? Heading down the highway, Glenn. I'm, r- I'm riding a Rancor, and we're both carrying our Crown Royal dice bags, the official dice bag of the OSR. <laughs> buy one today. Or get one from the bar. Just buy a bottle. I'd lo- I think they'd love, like you to buy a bottle anyway. Go and have these with someone. No, Tell no, them they can no. have the bottle and you, as long as you have the bag. And everybody else, no, we don't encourage that, okay? Drink Save or Die is not encouraging rampant drinking. <laughs> Save or Die or drink responsibly. Any more so than we encourage anyway by people listening. You know. Save versus alcohol poisoning. <laughs> How about you, Liz? I am flying away on a luck dragon. Yeehaw. Yeehaw. I'll try and stay out from beneath it then. <laughs> I am running down the road away from the enfolders carrying my three-bladed sword. Okay, you can call them off of that. Not really, that's why I'm running. (laughs) (laughs) I guess it's time to go, huh? Yep. All right. Good night, everybody. Good night. Good night.